everyone. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here this morning. My name's Jake. If I hadn't a chance to meet you yet, I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Midtown Church and so glad that you are joining us uh, this morning as we actually bring a series uh, that we started uh, six weeks ago. We're bringing that series to a close today, wrapping it up, the series we've been calling Life-Changing, the Radical Reorienting Nature of the Gospel, and I hope that it's been a helpful series to you. It's been, uh, it's definitely been helpful to me as well. Um, we uh, want to just give you a little history lesson, right, real quick, before we get into the message this morning. A history of Midtown Church. See, our church has started in uh, September of 2014, and we're coming up on our, our 2013, coming up on our two-year anniversary in, in, in September. And uh, leading up to uh, our, uh, our launch, which we kind of, it's not great terminology, but we started meeting on Sundays here in September 8th, 2013. And before that, there was a group of about, uh, started off with about 10, and then became 20, and then became uh, like about 38 people that were meeting together on Sunday mornings before uh, we were meeting here. And we were meeting in homes, and we were, uh, we'd gather at one of our houses on Sunday mornings, and we would do a, like a kind of a Bible study, and we spent a lot of time praying, and we spent a lot of time just dreaming about starting a church in Central Austin. And during that time, many of those people moved into Central Austin. Others that were already living here kind of committed to be here and committed, everyone kind of committed to give sacrificially when it comes to financially and then to serving and giving of their time. And many people took some big steps uh, out of their comfort zone to like start meeting people that they didn't know, like their neighbors. Isn't it sad? We just so, so rarely know our neighbors, but we, like big comfort zones, you know, out of that to go knock on the door of the person who lives next to you. But we started doing that and started getting to know people. And it was, uh, it was exciting times. And it was uncomfortable times and sacrificial times, but we, we, we were starting this church with a purpose. And we, the purpose was not just to do something for us. And we, uh, many of us uh, came from churches that we loved. And this had no, I, this no part of it. it was like trying to leave a church that we didn't like to go start something that we can make our own to be for us. And we were leaving churches that we loved to go start something new for the sake of others. And though there was the friends that were starting this church. And so we were knew we would enjoy it. But we also knew that it was going to be difficult at times and sacrificial of time and money and all that kind of comfort and all that kind of stuff. But we were starting the church for the purpose of have, helping others get connected to God. And we were starting churches, we say right here, to see the day when every man, woman, child in Austin hears the gospel from a person that loves them. So that's why we started. In fact, I've got something here. Let me go grab it. Who behind the curtain? I meant to pull this out earlier, but so... Then on the night before we launched our church, or had our first service here, we had a charter service in this room. And those 38 people that had started, uh, you know, started this church kind of lined up here, and uh, each person came in and, and signed the Midtown Church Charter. And it, was a pretty, it was a pretty significant night. It was a big, big deal in my life, um, seeing this church kind of be born, and the people who were committed to help start it, and we're, we're a result of what's taken place since then. On the bottom of this charter, there's this statement. It says, There are moments in time that set into motion a course of events that forever change the lives of many. We talked about that for a little while that night. It's a moment of time setting course of chain of events that will forever change the lives of many. And we were, we were planning on, or the hope was, all faith and 
power of God for this, but that we'd start this church and God would use it to impact many, many people. Since that's happened, since we started, we've seen God begin doing that. There's a lot more lives that we hope that he will impact through our church, but we can look back and a little over a year and a half that we've been around and see many people have come to, to know Jesus. Many people take steps in their walk with Jesus, get connected to friendships that are encouraging them and pointing them towards Christ. In fact, we just had uh, four girls from our church go out last night with, with, with a friend of ours, Krista and I, that is uh, so close to putting her faith in Christ. And maybe she already did. That's one of those like, okay, you know, she's, it seems like maybe she has perhaps put her faith in Christ. Things like that, we just get so excited. Man, we... Man, that was what we started this church for. And that makes sense, right, when it comes to starting a church. Start it not just for us, but for what God would do through us to help others. But I I share that at the end of this series because uh, what we've been talking about is the life-changing, reorienting nature of the gospel and how what Jesus did for us through his death and resurrection on the cross, it changes us completely. It makes us someone completely new, a brand new identity that we go from being guilty to being declared righteous, that we, we go from having a messed up record to having Christ's perfect record count for us. We're clothed in his righteousness. It's amazing that, that we also, we, we get a new master, that we're no longer enslaved to sin, but we, we get to be enslaved to God, which is a good thing. It's, it's where blessing and life is truly found. Like this is a, such a good deal. Not only does our eternal destiny, eternal hope change, so that's true and great, and we promise a future hope with God forever, but we also know that our lives right now change. In fact, like our identity changes. That we become a different people, not based on what we do for God, but what God has done for us. And we spent many weeks talking about that leading up to today's message. But here's the thing, kind of tie in the charter and all this stuff. It's this, how often do we view what God has done for us through, the, through Jesus' death and resurrection? How often do we view that through the same lens as how we were viewing starting this church. That lens being, we were starting something not really for us, but to see how it would impact the lives of many others to come. That we knew this was a moment in time that could forever change the lives of many people when we started this church, but how many of us view our putting our faith in Jesus Christ as a time that God, something that God did for the purpose of changing the lives of many people? Oftentimes, we view putting our faith in Christ through a very individualistic and personal lens, don't we? And it makes sense why we do that. Because if you believe the gospel and you believe what God tells us that he accomplished for us through Jesus' death and resurrection, what we receive when we put our faith in Christ, it's the very best gift we will ever receive. I mean, there's, there's nothing that we will ever get that's better that could trump it. I mean, we get God. We get God's salvation. We promised him forever. We, we, you know, all that stuff that I just talked about, that's what we get. This is incredible news. And so it makes sense that when we get that, we, we think, man, this is great. And we just kind of focus in on, man, this is what God's done for me. And yet, though it's completely true that what God has done for us in the, through Christ's death and resurrection is so good for us and has incredible ramifications for us and is the best gift we've ever been given, we would, we would fall incredibly short of our understanding of God's purpose for it if we just contain it to its implications for you personally. 
that what God did for you through Christ was always meant to have huge implications for others as well. To where you could say that when you put your faith in Christ, that that was a a moment of time where God was setting into action a chain of events that was meant and intended and still is intended to change the lives of many. Are you living that way? See, that's a part of the radical reorienting nature of the gospel. That when we receive this gift, we realize that what God has given and what God has done for you, he's always now intends to do through you. To where you would say, okay, this is how God has changed me so that now I can become one of his change agents in the world, if you will. That God has changed you to use you to change the world. That God has reconciled you to be his voice of reconciliation in the world. That God has blessed you to be a blessing to those in the world. Like this is just kind of goes on and on and on. And I wonder if we have grasped that. As we wrap up this series, this is what we want to press into. God has done incredible things for us. He has changed us through the power of Jesus. But don't let it stop with what he's done for us. See, what he's done for us, now he wants to do through us. So we're going to go back to to the passage that we spent the last three weeks looking at, Matthew chapter 28, where we've been building out of this passage an understanding of how God changes us. And then we've been, and as we've been looking at that, we've been ignoring one of the main parts of this passage that we usually kind of tend to jump to directly, which is the big command, go make disciples of all nations. And I've told you all over the last few weeks, like, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that, but we're not going there yet. Well, today we're going to go there. And the reason we're going to go there is because hopefully God's been using these, what, you know, these messages and what he's been saying to you to help you understand, okay, here's the, here's the pattern. Here's what Jesus did. He said, okay, go make disciples. And then he says, here's how you make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and teach them to obey all that I've commanded. Right? And there's a, there's a, a process to that. The first step is help people understand who I've made them to be. That's the baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, that you don't get baptized to become someone. You get baptized as a, as a physical reminder of a spiritual reality. And what Jesus is saying is like, when you set, set out uh, to make disciples, what you need to do first is help people grasp who they are, who I, Jesus is saying, who I have made them to be, right? So we've been talking about that. We said, okay, so that because of who God is and what God's done for us through Christ, we are now Baptized in the name of the Father, meaning that we're united to God as he is our Father. Which is, what does that make us? That makes us his beloved children, that we go from being his enemies to his beloved children, as 1 John 3, 1 talks about. And so what does that mean? How does that mean we should then live? Well, we should love each other like family, and we should relate to God as our perfect Father. And then we say, okay, we're baptized in the name of the Son, meaning that we've been united with the Son through what Jesus has done for us. So what's it tell us about who Jesus is? Well, Jesus is God's son. He's also the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the king of kings. And because the king of kings did not come to be, be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, then we are now, have, having been served, are now moved to serve the king. And so we become his servants. And that's an identity-changing 
thing that takes place for us when we put our faith in Christ, that we are now family of God and we're now servants to the king. And then the last, being baptized in the name of the Spirit, is meaning that we're baptized in, in uh, united with the Spirit of God, who is the one who empowers and sends people into the mission of God. And so when we're united with the Spirit, what that means for us is that we become missionaries. We've been empowered by God to go tell people about Jesus. And that's an identity-changing thing that happened for you the moment you put your faith in Christ. You don't do anything to become the family of God. You don't do anything to become servants. You don't do anything to become missionaries. It's who God is and what he's done that makes you those things. And now, if you put your faith in Christ, that's who you are. And then the question is, is are you living as you are? Are you living in light of who you really are? So that's where we've been. He said, man, let's, let's help each other understand that. And Jesus is saying in Matthew 28, it's important for you to help. When you go make disciples, you need to help people understand who I have made them to be. Then, having understood who they are in Christ, then you go live this out. Then you teach them to obey all that I've commanded, right? And so, hopefully, you're, you're growing in, and I am growing in my understanding of who I am in Christ. And it's off of that foundation that we get into the topic today, which is, what is the mission that we've been sent on? What's the mission we've been sent on? And you go to Matthew 28, then you, then you see it, right? What's the mission that's laid out for us in verse 18? Go make disciples of all nations. What's the mission? Go make disciples, right, of all nations. That's make disciples of all nations. That's our mission. That's our mission. Why is that our mission? We talked about that briefly in week two of this series, and I don't want to go through all of that again, but it is worth just being reminded that the reason that's our mission, friends, is because when, when God created the world, his initial plan was for all the earth to be filled with the knowledge of his glory. His glory meaning the, the, the full understanding of who he is and what he's like. Who he is, what he's like, what he's done. That that's the, the weight of all that God is. And that he wanted all of his creation to know what he was like. And so he created us as his representatives. That we are in Genesis 1, 26 or 28, talk about we're made in the image of God. We were to be his representatives. And yet we sinned, we failed, we, we did not represent God well. And so God sent his own son, completely God, completely man, to live the life that we were all supposed to live. And Jesus, he was the full representation of God. And yet Jesus lived the life that we were supposed to live, but then he took the death that we deserve to die for failing to live the life that we were supposed to live. And through Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection, he made it possible for us to receive his, his record, his righteousness, that the life that we were supposed to live, that he lived, he gives us that life, and we receive in him eternal life. And now, having united, been united with Christ through faith, if you have put your faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, then you have the Spirit of God come to live within you. And now you have the ability, by the power of God, to do what you were created to do, to represent God, so that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. That when you get united with Christ, that you are connected with his church. His church in, the, in Scripture is referred to as the body of Christ. In fact, let me read this verse to you out of Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 22 and 23 says this, And God placed all things under his feet, talking about Jesus, 
and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And the idea of that is this, that God is filling the whole world through his body, which is the church. So that, as Habakkuk 2.14 states, the whole earth is filled with the knowledge of glory of the Lord's waters cover the sea. That God has placed everything under Jesus, and that he's placed us, his body, to represent Jesus so that the whole earth would be filled in every way, in everything, submission to and worship of our Savior Jesus. This is why this is the mission for us, to make disciples, is that we are to help each other grow up into Christ and help others grow up into Christ so that through the saturation of the world, the people make disciples and make disciples and make disciples, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. So you go back to the mission. What's the mission? You say, okay, maybe a more holistic, full biblical picture of what the mission of of God is for us. It's this, to make disciples that make disciples so that the whole earth would be filled with the glory, with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, you say. And you build that out in Matthew 28, Ephesians 1, Habakkuk 2, 14. This is, this is our mission. That God didn't just save you just to save you, though certainly that's one of the greatest things ever and is true, but that what he did for you when you put your faith in Christ was for a purpose beyond you, but it's certainly to bless you. And that is that he also wants to use you to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory. And so the way you go about doing that is by making disciples. Making disciples. Go make disciples. Okay, but that leads us to a question that I want to spend some time on this morning, and that's this. What's a disciple and how you make one? All right? I mean, let's just go back down to, like, some real basics here that may feel like if you've been in a church for a while now, you know these terms. But for me, it's, like, so helpful to, like, press down on what exactly does that mean? And, like, what, like it feels abstract or super difficult or whatever. And so let's just go back and ask some questions like, what is a disciple? Maybe we have an idea of what that is theoretically, and then oftentimes we live way differently functionally. If you think you're a disciple, and sometimes we can narrow it down to, and a disciple is just someone who comes to comes to church, you know, shows up at a worship service once a week and, and maybe is in a small group and tries to avoid the big sins, right? Or something like that. But that's not really what a, what a disciple is. What is a disciple? Well, I want us to look at two passages, uh, Matthew 4 and then back to Matthew 28 to, to try to build out a definition of a disciple from what Jesus says. And uh, these passages are helpful passages because they're, they're, two, they're, they're like the bookends to discipling. And that Matthew 4 is when Jesus is actually first inviting some men to come be his disciples. And then Matthew 28 is at the end of Jesus' ministry when he's sending those disciples out to go make disciples. And so look with me in Matthew 4, and uh, we'll be in verse 18. And I just want to read this passage and. As we read it, be thinking through the line, through the grid of okay, what 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 here do we learn? What do we learn about what a disciple is from this? So, verse eighteen, chapter four of Matthew says, "While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men.' And immediately they left their nets and followed him. All right." So I love this about Jesus, that 
he uh, enters into the world of these guys, speaks their language. You know, they're fishermen. He says, okay, make you fishers of men. Like, that's just a little quick insight into, like, that's what Jesus is like. He knows you. He speaks your language. Like, I love that about our God. But he does this. He comes in, and he, he approaches these guys. And it's worth noting that in that day and age, like a rabbi was someone that was seen as a teacher that people would attach themselves to, and you're invited to follow a rabbi. The idea would be that they would uh, get up, they'd follow him, and they would. Tr- the goal of it would be to become like him, to know what he knows and to do what he does. So these guys, uh, you see this kind of rabbi relationship forming when Jesus invites these guys to come follow him. Now pay attention to Jesus' his invitation. There's three things I want to point out to here, three aspects of this invitation that I think is helpful for us to learn about what it means to be a disciple. First he says, follow me, right? And then the next thing he says is, I will make you. And then the next thing he says, a fisher of men, right? So you can th- break that down to these three things. Follow me or connect with me. If you connect with me, then what's next? I will make you. Not, you, you know, you will, if you do this, you will become, but I will make you. And then what? This fisher of men in this context. Okay, hang on to that. And then let's go back to Matthew uh, 28, picking up in verse 16, a couple verses earlier than what I was referencing a second ago. But in Matthew 28, which is, again, like I said, the bookend of Jesus' ministry. Matthew 4 is the beginning of his public ministry, calling disciples. Matthew 28, when Jesus is about to ascend to the Father, the end of his earthly ministry, and he's sending his disciples out. And in the meanwhile, these disciples have been following him and seeing him teach and seeing him do all these miracles and eventually going to the cross and dying and then rising again on the third day and then like getting to see him in his resurrection body and eat with him and touch him. And like they are convinced like he's risen from the dead and he is who he said he was, that he's God and that he died for the sins of the world. And like now they're about to be sent out. Like all of that has taken place between the passage I just read and what I'm about to read. So keep that in mind. And here's what happens. Verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, a couple of things to point out here. The first is that we see right from the the get-go is that you get these two responses from the disciples. They meet Jesus at the mountain. Jesus is in his resurrection body. He's about to leave them, and it says they worshipped him, and some doubted, right? So you get this like, interesting like, reaction to Jesus, that they're worshipping him, and some are also doubting. Well, a couple of things I'd want to just point out to, the, to you from this. One is that um, if, if you, this is kind of an aside, but if, if you ever struggle with the idea, like, has Jesus really ever claimed to be God? This is a great passage to take people. Take people that your friends, maybe if they're asking that question, or for you to go personally if you're asking that question. Because like Jesus allows these guys to worship him. And that's a big deal because if, if you're a, a Jew, a good fallen Jew, as these men were, uh, they knew the great Shema, the great commandment of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, you know, There's only one God. 
don't bow down to any other God except me. You know, that whole deal is really like a huge thing for them. And yet here they are bowing down before Jesus, and Jesus is allowing them to bow down before him. He's receiving their worship. So it's just worth noting, like, this is one of those passages that would be worth wrestling with uh, about, like, okay, either Jesus is either a crazy person who thought he was God, but he's not, or he was a liar, and he wanted people to think that he was, or he really was, and that's why he was okay with them worshiping him and why he was, uh, and these men were worshiping him. And we should also, if that's true, that he really is God, that's why we should also worship him. So just, just tuck that away. But it's worth noting also from this that the fact that they worshiped is that you notice back in Matthew 4, the call was first from follow me. And then after three and a half years of ministry, the result of following him was that they were now worshiping him. And you see this progression, right? This progression that's taken place over this period of time as they've grown in their understanding and love for Jesus that's gone from following to learn from to actually worshiping, bowing down to. All right, the other thing that's worth pointing out here is that when it comes, uh, when it comes to the reaction is the fact that they doubted, right? And I don't know about you, but like, I find so much encouragement here that these guys were doubting. It's like... It makes me scratch my head a little bit because it's like, really? <laughs> like, why are you doubting? Of all the people not to doubt, it would be you guys. Y'all actually got to be there with him, see him do all these miracles, see the guy die, see him rise again, touch him. Right? I'm like, what in the world is it? Like, why are you doubting? But man, I just am so thankful for Matthew's honesty in writing this that he would include the fact that some of them were doubting. And personally, the reason why I find that encouraging is because I've been following Jesus for over 20 years of my life, and I still doubt all the time. Primarily, my doubts aren't in the area of, is Jesus really God, and did he really die and rise again? Sometimes it is that, but most of the time, that's not it. Most of the time, my doubts come into the area of, can I actually trust him? Can I trust him with the specific areas of my life? You know, last Sunday, um, y'all... If you were here, and perhaps you've heard, but uh, Adam, uh, the other pastor here at Midtown Church, one of my best friends and who we planted this church together, he announced that God really feels like he's, God's leading him to make a career change. And he's going to pursue a career in, uh, in nursing, become a registered nurse. And uh, he's going back to school, and he's going to go like, take the plunge into that big career change. And that's a big deal for him and a hard thing for him. But he's, he's going to take that step. So he's still on staff with us, and he'll still be here with Midtown uh, all the way through August and hopefully even beyond. Uh, but that's a big deal that he's making that change. Personally, for me, it scares me to death. Because, I mean, he's my, like, he's my best friend. One of them, at least. He, we dreamed of planting Midtown Church together for 15 years. And like, this was like our thing that we like, felt like God had given us this idea long ago. And then He's like right-hand man for me. <laughs> and so, like, the idea of him taking this step, that scares me. Personally, it, it makes me sad. And, it, and I think, man, what's going to happen, God? What are you going to do? How are you going to care for our church? And, like, how are we going to replace Adam? And how can you replace Adam? Adam's awesome. And, like, all these questions that come to mind. And yet I know that God is the great provider. I know that. I know that God provided his own son for me. <laughs> Like, I know that. I know, I know that God can overcome any obstacle. Like, he overcame the obstacle of sin and death. Like, if he can overcome sin and death, he can overcome this change of careers for Adam and how that might play out for us as a church and how it's going to play out for the Brunson family. Like, he, he's got all that under control. I know that that's true, and yet I don't know that that's true. I doubt. 
I doubt and I wrestle. And I read this account of these guys and I see them in front of Jesus, worshiping him and bowing down and yet at the same time also doubting. And I think, man, I get that. I get that. And I am so thankful for Jesus that his response isn't, okay, I know that some of y'all are doubting. Y'all go. You get out of here. And the rest of you, I'm going to take y'all and we're going to go reach the world. Go make disciples of all nations. Now he's, he's, he just responds with, hey, I just want you to remember who I am. See, all authority and all power has been given to me. And that's who I am. So trust me. And then he sends them out, all of them out. I love that about Jesus. So he does. He sends them out. And notice what he says when he sends them out. He says, okay, go make disciples. And he says, what? Baptize them in the name of Father, Son. What is that? What is that? That's I will make you, right? That's what we've been looking at over the last three weeks. Who does he made us? He's made us families. He's made us servants. He's made us missionaries. And then what? Teach them to obey all that I have commanded, which is, okay, go and live out who I've made you to be. And so if you take these two things, Matthew 4 and Matthew 28, you draw out this definition for being, or you see these things from a disciple, follow me goes to worshiping him. I will make you, baptize in the name. That's how he made us. The ways that he's made us into who we are. And a fishers of men obey all that I've commanded, which includes the command, make disciples of all nations, right? So what's the definition of a disciple? What, what is a disciple from this? When we see a disciple is someone who is who worships Jesus, is changed by Jesus, obeys Jesus, and teaches others to do likewise. Built out of these two passages, I feel like that's a very helpful definition. What's a disciple? Someone who's worshiping Jesus, following him, but then worshiping him. So worships Jesus as being changed or has been changed by Jesus and then living out those changes. This is who I am because what Jesus has done. I'm I'm living in light of that. And I'm going to obey all that he's commanded and I'm going to teach others to do likewise. That's what a disciple is. Let me ask, are you a disciple? Are you a disciple? Now what's helpful to remember is this, that these guys, these guys who were doubting, what that shows me is that this is progressive. That they went from following to worshiping. And even when they're worshiping, they're still doubting. So what's that tell you? This doesn't happen overnight. This is not a class you take. You don't become a disciple by going through a 12-week or three-year or four-year seminary or whatever it is. That you don't do that and get something, and now you're a disciple, and it's a done deal, and you've arrived. That's not how this works. These guys went through a three-and-a-half day-in, day-out training class with Jesus himself, and they're still doubting at the end. This is progressive. It's progressive. In fact, one of the things you can point out here is that when it comes to discipleship, the way that you become a disciple, I think this is a helpful way to put it, that discipleship is this, that it's, it's someone who is um, uh, leading others, or discipleship is leading others to increasingly submit all of life to the lordship of Jesus. It's leading others to increasingly submit all of life to the lordship, or you could say to submission to Jesus, to acknowledgement that he's God and I'm not, and so I'm going to live the way he says. That's what it, and it's, it is progressive. It's this increasing submission. But notice, too, that it's in all of life. That we like to, if you've been in the church long, it, to compartmentalize discipleship to just maybe what you know, or studying the Bible, or going to the right events. And if you do that, then you're a disciple. But that's, that's not what discipleship is. It's very clearly 
not that, as you look at what, how Jesus discipled, that it's, it's supposed to be all of life. All of life. That you don't like, go to something, like you don't come here on a Sunday morning and just worship and give God this hour and 15 minutes of your <laughs> beginning of your week, and then now like, that's what you do as a disciple, and then you, you go to work the rest of the week, and that's not anything, doesn't have anything to do with being a disciple. That's just about being an employee or employer. Like, that's, no, that's, that's not true. It's being a disciple is someone who's increasingly submitting every aspect of your life to the reign of God. So you're a disciple at work and how you relate to the people that you're doing business with and how you relate to your boss and how, what you do with the money that you make, how you manage that, that you're a disciple and how you uh, care for and serve the people that you're working with or working to, 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 uh, to serve in the business. Or you're, dis- you're a disciple when you go home, how you love your husband or love your wife how you parent your kids if you have them. That all of life is to be given over to be worshiping God in, to be submitting to Jesus' lordship in. That's, that's the process of discipleship. And it's, it's, it's not an overnight thing, is it? Not if it's all of life. You got to learn. You got to continue to grow and you will forever and ever and ever until Christ returns. How do I continue to learn to, to give everything over every aspect of my life, to worship Jesus in every aspect of my life. It's not easy. In fact, I would say it's completely impossible outside of the very power of God, right? God living within you, helping you trust him and submit to him and worship him. Because we doubt. And we will continue to doubt whether God's trustworthy to hand over these different parts of our life to him that we're just not sure we can really trust him with. God, can I really trust you with my finances? Can I really trust you with what you say in regards to parenting? Can I really trust you in regards to how you say I should serve my wife? And on and on and on. So how do we grow as disciples or how do we make disciples? in light of what, disciple, what a disciple is and what discipleship is. I want to I wrap up with that. We've only got a couple minutes left here, but when you look at Jesus' life, there's, you'll see that there's, you can learn a lot about how to make disciples when you look at him, because like, that's what he did, right? And he was God. And so he was like really good stuff to learn from him, right? And he was man, so he got, had to deal with the stuff that we deal with. And so there's so, so much to, to learn from him. Of course, he's the best example ever. And you can learn so much. I can't possibly begin to uh, like try to get to the bottom of it this morning, especially with only five minutes. And so well, I want to just hit on three, just quickly outline three key environments that Jesus leveraged to help make disciples. And I want to say these things to encourage you to lean into these environments and to invite others to join you in these environments to help you continue to grow as a disciple and for you to begin to think about how do I help make disciples? And so here are the three key environments and just kind of rapid list them off. The first is life on life. That when you look at Jesus' life, he gave people access to all of his life, that he lived visibly in front of people so that they could see what it looked like to follow, G- follow uh, God, follow the Father, submit to the Father fully 
in every aspect of life. If that's what discipleship is, every includes every aspect of life, then you want to see, okay, what does that look like? I can, I can learn about God. I can learn about truth, and I can learn about the Bible and the teachings of it. But until I often see it, how that, like, connects with life, then I'm just kind of left trying to figure this out on my own. And Jesus said to his, his disciples, especially, especially the 12 and then even the inner three, you know, Peter, James, and John. He said, I want to give you full access to everything so that you get to see how I live out everything that I've been saying and been teaching. That's this life-on-life kind of discipleship. And friends, that has to take place outside of just a simple hour or two Bible study. It can include that. It often should include that. But it's often, it's got to be way more than that. Or else, all you have is you're teaching some doctrine, but you're not teaching them how it looks like to live that out in life. Been having the pleasure of discipling my buddy Neil White for a long time. And uh, I was his youth pastor for many years at Hill Country Southwest. And then he came over here to help plant Midtown. And last uh, three years, been able to, to be discipling him as a part of our church. And we meet every Wednesday mornings at 6 a.m. And guys like super faithful and just great guy. And we also have him over at our house on Wednesday nights for dinner. And then he's part of our MC on Thursday nights. And so I see the guy, I see the guy a lot. I don't know why he wants to see me that much, but he, he's dealing with, he, he, uh, he's a lot of grace. And so he puts up with me. But anyways, we, we have him over and he just, his parents are separated, divorced, and his dad wasn't around very much when he was growing up. And he just, you know, to get a chance to see kind of our life, and I'm not nailing it by any means, 100%, but to give him a chance to see what it looks like to be a dad and be a husband and what my faith looks lived out at my home and invite him over to come see this. And we were talking about it this week, and he said, uh, I said, Man, oh, well, I got to share this and this, try not to tear up, but uh, he, uh, he just accepted a job. He just graduated, uh, and uh, he just accepted a job in Plano, uh, at Plano Senior High. He's going to be the English teacher, debate coach there. It's a big, it's a great hire for him and really happy for him and really sad to see him him go. And he's sad that he's going to be going. He's going to stick around through till probably the end of July. But, you know, it's like, man, I love that guy. And I was asking him on Wednesday, I said, man, what, what, like, what can I do for you before you head out? Is there, is there anything that... Um, like, we, you want know, to talk through for the next few weeks to try to help you get ready for this next stage of life. And he said, I know this is really random. I haven't even shared this with Crystal yet, so this, this is funny. Y'all can watch her react to this. But uh, she said, I know this is really random, but, man, I, I wonder, like, I've seen your patterns at, at night. I've seen how you, how you kind of husband you are and seen how you uh, love your kids and, and care for them at night and dinner table and all that stuff. But I know this is really weird, but I, I'd kind of like to spend the night and just be there in the morning. If I could see how you are in the morning. <laughs> All right, whatever, you know. Like, <laughs> I usually don't have a whole lot of clothes on in the morning, so I don't know if you want to see that. But All right, whatever, so. But to give access to life, like that's a part of how you make disciples. And here's the thing. We get scared about doing that for lots of reasons. It's out of our comfort zone. And then we also think, well, I don't want someone to look into every part of my life. Because that's a part of what discipleship is. It's Discipleship is loving and serving and worshiping God with every part of our life. And when you bring someone in, you give them access, you make your life visible 
for others to see it, then what either happens is you're serving God well, all be to the praise of Jesus. And this person's getting to learn what that looks like. Or you're sinning well, all be to the praise of Jesus. And here's what I mean by that, is that when you're messing up, they're getting to see it, and you're getting to go back to them and say, man, I really messed that up. I really, like, the way I was at the dinner table, I've told this to Neil, man, I was last Wednesday, I was just out of it, and I was not engaged with my family, and I did not serve them well. And you saw that. And I just want you to know, like, man, I need Jesus. And you know I need Jesus. But, like, that, was, that does not look like worshiping Jesus in that setting. And I need to, you know, I need to apologize to my family, and I need you to know that I need Jesus for this. And Jesus gets the glory for that. And Neil gets to learn from that. And friends, when you invite people in, they get a chance to grow as disciples, both by how you are honoring God and how you even mess up. And you point them to Jesus. You make it all about Jesus. Jesus did that. That's one way to make disciples. He leveraged the environment of life on life. The next one is life on community. Life, life in community. And life in community is this. It's not just like one-on-one or, or one-on-few, because you can't give a whole lot of people that level of access to your life. It's just not doable, right? But you don't just pull people out of community to disciple. That's not what Jesus did. He kept his 12. And then there was a, even a greater number than his 12. There was about 20 to 30. You count all of the women that were around him, the Marys and the Marthas. <laughs> like they had this big old group of people with him. Oh, there's a this community where he was helping them grow as disciples, not just on how his interaction was with them, but how they interacted with each other. In fact, to be a disciple is impossible to really live out all that it is to be a disciple of Christ is impossible to live, uh, to do that outside of community. I mean, just think about the one another's in scripture, all of the commands of how we should treat and love and care for encourage, shoulder the burdens of one another. You can't do that if you're not in community. And Jesus would leverage the community that was formed in his group to help people grow. And if you think about the type of guys that he had with him, it's very interesting. I don't know if you've given it much thought, but like he had, this, he had a zealot and a had, he had a tax collector in his inner 12. These two people hated each other. They would have literally killed each other. Or at least the zealot would have killed the tax collector if he had a choice. They absolutely hated each other. He had Peter and he had John. Peter was the brash fisherman. John was the super sensitive one who always referred to himself as the one that Jesus loved. Like he was the touchy-feely, and Peter was the big, strong guy that always said something that he should not say. Like always putting his foot in his mouth. You know that they had to rub each other wrong. You know that they had conflict. Jesus is like, man, that's a part of it. Like this is how I help you grow as a disciple. As you deal with people that you don't always get along with, and you learn to love them. In fact, Jesus would go so far to say in John 13 that the way people will know that you're my disciples is by how you love one another. Not how you love me, Jesus was saying, but how you love each other. And so life in community is an incredibly important way for us to grow as disciples. And then the last one is, the last environment is this life on mission. Life on mission. That Jesus was always on mission, and when he was discipling his people, he never pulled them out of the mission. He just invited them in with him on his mission. And then at the end of his life, he sends them out on the mission. And when he sends them out, he says, hey, I'm going to still be with you. I'll be with you to the end of the age, though. I won't be present with you. I'm sending you my spirit, but you go. You go. And Jesus knew that it was in the, on the mission that they would be stretched to live for more than themselves. And they would be put in uh, uh, positions and 
situations where they are going to be weighing over their head. And he was cool with that because that's a huge aspect of how God grows us. We talked about that a few weeks ago, back at the, actually the beginning of the spring. One of the ways that God grows our faith is that it's through personal ministry when we're asked to do something that we know we cannot do. When Jesus was inviting his disciples in on the mission with him, he was inviting them to do something that they could not do without him. And Jesus is like, exactly. That's a huge aspect of how God grows us as disciples and how we can work together to help each other grow as disciples. That's life on life, life in community, life on mission. Much more that could be said about those things. But it's helpful to notice that those environments are things that Jesus himself used to make disciples. And if you want to grow as a disciple, I would encourage you to lean into those environments. And if you want to make disciples, as Jesus has commanded you to, then I would encourage you to leverage those environments. And of course, this whole series has been connected to the launch of, these, of our Midtown communities. And that's purposeful, right? Because we want you to have a, a very clear next step that's very attainable for you. So that you can step in and do this thing that God is asking and calling us to do and has changed us by the power of his death and resurrection so that we can be made new so we can live this out. And so the step, the step that I want to encourage you to take is to enter into a Midtown community with us. As we say, Midtown community is this. It's, it's a family of missionary servants. Why? Because we've been baptized in the name of Father, Son, and Spirit. So we're a family of missionary servants. We're a family of missionary servants committed to making disciples that make disciples, to help you grow as a disciple and for you to help others grow as disciples. Because will you join us? Will you join us? Is this what you've been commanded to do? This is the mission. You've been changed for your blessing, but also for the good of many. Will you engage with God? I know you're scared. The idea, if you get practical and you think, okay, I got to go make a disciple, like, <laughs> what? How do you do that? And I have people in my home. I have people over all the time, give them access. So I got to have someone there when I wake up in the morning, like, I'm going to do that? Like, really? But if you feel that way, that's good, friends. It's good. That's how you ought to feel. Because we can't do this on our own. And Jesus gives us these commands because he wants to do good stuff through us. But he wants to drive us to him first and foremost. And if you will, if you say yes to God, you will be driven out of dependence to your very, very Savior who's promised to be with you, who all power and authority has been given to, and who's promised that he'd be with you to the end of the age. So the beauty of Jesus' command here is that incredible stuff for his glory and your good and the good of many will come as a result when you do it. But the blessing of Jesus' command here is that it will only come by us getting further connected and dependent on our awesome God. This is not about your power. You do this. This is about what God has made you into and then empowered you by his very presence to move out with him to go do. Will you lean into him? If you do, you'll find him and many will be blessed. Let's make disciples, friends. Let's learn how to do it together. Let's join an MC and figure this out for his glory and the good of many. Let me pray. Father God, I love you. I thank you that you sent Jesus and that you love us so much that you gave your son. 
And Jesus, you love us so much that you died on the cross willingly for us, that we'd be adopted into your family. And Spirit, you love us so much that you came to indwell us. And God, I pray that you would help us understand what you've made us to be, how you've changed us, and God, also why you've changed us. And for our good, God, but for your glory and the good of others. And that may many people hear the gospel and may many people become disciples themselves that go make disciples as a result of what you do in our lives, God. May we humbly submit to you and trust you. And God, thanks for not kicking us out when we have our doubts, but inviting us further in. May we lean into you, God, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.